You're listening to Mintersectional Podcast. I'm Noreen. And I'm Ashley. This is a podcast about having the necessary difficult conversations. And for those who believe in anti-oppression across all intersections. For those that live their truth every day, regardless of social constructs or pressure. For those that value different perspectives. For those that aim to be lifelong learners and believe in positive change. For those that are subversive as hell and constantly challenging the norm in every sphere of human existence. Welcome. Okay, and we are back, and this is Intersectional Podcast. I'm Noreen. I'm Ashley. And today we have Paul. Hello. <laughs> As a guest, uh, you are a, our third man that we've ever had on this. Cool. So, yeah, welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, it, this is episode 14. Did I already say that? I don't know. Nope. I don't know <laughs> we did before. Fresh, fresh info. <laughs> yeah, fresh info. 14. Um, it's November 28th. November 28th, so that's, yeah. And so, yeah, so let's start out with some current events, because a lot of shit has happened, and I think we haven't done this for over a month now, so mm-hmm. let's go. Yeah, uh, I guess most recently, so right before we did our last episode, we were just nearing the uh, election, Minneapolis City Council um, unfortunately, we lost the author and the co-author of the fur bill, so that's incredibly unfortunate. We lost Cam Gordon, who um, has done a lot for animals over his years on the city council, so that one kind of hurt a bit. And um, yeah, the people who started for Free Minneapolis are now on the West Coast, and so if this is going, if this campaign is going to continue, we need somebody local to pick it up. So. I'm feeling pressure to do that, because um, we don't have a lot of activists, but I don't know that I want to take that on, um, because it would entail meeting with the city council members, presenting this ordinance, and trying to get their support, and I've really only dealt with city councils with, like, six members, and I think Minneapolis has 13. I don't know. I haven't paid attention, because I can't vote um, in Minneapolis anyway, but... Yeah, so that's really unfortunate. I haven't really studied up on the new council members to see what kind of people they are, but I'm sure I'll be doing that in the coming months. Um, I just found out this morning that on Thursday evening, a 13-year-old here in Brooklyn Park, where we're recording, shot and killed a 5-year-old. And they don't know how he got the gun, but that's, like, absolutely devastating. Um, That was Thanksgiving night. I don't celebrate, but... So family was together, and tragedy struck. Um, of course, per usual, lots of shootings have been going down. Um, nothing new there, unfortunately. I think I mentioned on a previous episode a couple months ago, so I, I live on the border. I live in, technically in North Minneapolis, but on the border not in Brooklyn Center. And um, <clears throat> in over at one of the schools, a 17-year-old, came and shot a 12-year-old, I believe, right when he was walking off the bus because that 12-year-old made fun of that 17-year-old's brother. Oh. So, yeah, access to guns is a like I, Yeah, issue. I just don't understand. Mm-hmm. Are they not being locked up? Like, what? I don't know. Yeah. You hear these stories all the time. It's like, this shouldn't be happening. Yeah, gun violence is unf- an unfortunate reality right now, and it's... I feel like it's getting worse, like, and I, I think I say this, like, ever since COVID started and people got, like, locked, you know, locked in to, to having to be not around people and mm-hmm. stuff, it's just, like, 
something it set something off and it's just gotten worse like yeah. and then I moved to North Minneapolis last year and gunshots I mean I hear them a lot so it's scary like mm-hmm. I, I'm just happy to be a homebody because then you avoid a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. um, I guess continuing on with the gun violence so Kim Potter the what 25 year cop who shot and killed Dante Wright back in April um, her trial starts the 30th um, Tuesday and the judge wasn't previously going to allow cameras in there but people were protesting outside the judge's house urging transparency and mm-hmm. saying let's get cameras in there mm-hmm. and they did reverse the decision not to allow cameras so last I heard there will be mm-hmm. uh, it will be presented and they said that the protests weren't why they decided to oh, allow okay. it. I know. I, that's what I kind of thought. Protests like, sure. don't have power, people. <laughs> right, don't yeah. Let's, let's try to, yeah. Yeah, let's never let you know that that actually works. Mm-hmm. So does. I rolled my eyes big time when I heard that. This is why this is important. Like, showing up matters, and, like, it's mm-hmm. the energy that's that comes from that shit, you can't. You can't say that that doesn't affect anything. And it's like people yeah. who have never participated <clears throat> in something like that are often the ones to speak out against it. Right. Like, I was tabling at a farmer's market for work, and they have a sign that says, what we do, and protests were listed. Mm-hmm. And this um, middle-aged man comes rolling over, and he's, like, looking at the sign, and he goes, what is there to protest? My head could have exploded. Mm-hmm. I'm like, in animal rights alone, there's a million things just in the mm-hmm. Twin Cities to protest. Like... And a lot of times people do think that it's not effective, and we're seeing it, um, especially uh, on the East Coast and West Coast. There's been lots of fur protests, for example, storming into these stores, disrupting them. Um, It's getting them to cave and stop selling fur. This has been the biggest year for stores to be like, we're done, because of the pressure from activists. Mm -hmm. They're um, doing, like, email blasts, social media blasts. They're going in the stores. They're disrupting. They're taking, they're, like, holding a presence outside these stores. Like, it is making a difference. So, obviously, it's a multifaceted thing. Like, you you can't just only protest. Like, you need to sometimes pass ordinances or work with city councils to, like, further things along. But protests definitely do have a place in making a change. Absolutely. And I, I feel like... It doesn't have, if, if you are uncomfortable with protests, like, you can definitely show up in other ways. Like, just being the person that calls it out and says, this is fucked up. Like, I remember the one Thanksgiving where we still had a turkey on the table. And it was with, like, bigger family gathering. This is pre-COVID. And I remember walking into the room, seeing that dead bird, and just being like, holy fuck, this is fucked up. And I think several people were like... You saw their head go, yeah, it's kind of messed Something up. Something that's it, just so normalized, like and you don't... like bird. And, you know, and, and a bunch of the kids, like, went, yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. You don't think about it that yeah. way, because it's just always been, like, a staple on the table. But then once you view it the other way, you're like, whoa, that's actually, like, really dark. Like, that's mm-hmm. some dark energy as the center That you're about to put in your body. Right. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And so, and then also, like, we have, like cold cuts and, like, deli meats and stuff like that. It's just slices of shit where I feel like the there's, you're so much more removed oh, yeah. from thinking about that thing as an actual animal mm-hmm. because of the shape of it or whatever. But when it's in the shape of a bird, it's kind of brings it all together. Yes. Bit. Or, like, a, a full pig. Like, oh, my oh, God. I've seen those, yeah. like, pig roasts and mm-hmm. stuff. Yep. And, yeah, so. When I was in um, Southeast Asia, 
I walked past this restaurant. They had like a big open outdoor area and they had um, an alligator like on a, what's it called? A spit? Like a full When they're like putting it over the, yeah, over the yeah. fire. I was just like, I was so taken aback. Like, holy fuck. And people are just like eating near it amongst them. Just like, that is like, what if that was like a human body just like roasting right there? Would people be appalled? Probably. So why is it different? Because of the different species. Like, yeah. oh yeah, I saw a lot of really creepy things there and they're they're more open about it which you know people are like if slaughterhouses had glass walls everyone would go vegan it's like uh, no they wouldn't because people see a lot of this violence and stuff and they know and they they don't do it so it's like i don't know all these well, things that vegans say to like uh that's probably going to be an upcoming like rant for me is like talking about shit that vegans say that actually isn't even true like oh animals are voiceless no, they're not. Mm-hmm. We just don't listen to them. They vocalize. Yeah. They show in other ways that they don't want to be killed, but humans ignore it. Dude, and they're so like, fucking smart. Like, my dog is way smarter than me. <laughs> in many regards. That's the thing. Yeah. They've got these instincts, and it's like, I don't know, people think humans are superior, but you look at these animals, like cows, for example, their babies are standing and walking, typically within their first hour of being born. Like... Like yeah. birds, like can you imagine being a baby bird and like jumping out of the nest for the first nest for the first time and flying, like mm-hmm. I don't know. just the instincts that are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, well, here's a an up oh, maybe uplifting thing that was posted on Saturday in the Pioneer Press, which is a local paper. Minnesota hunters shot fewer deer this year. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Did you see my video? There were eight deer. In my yard. Oh, just having a little get Wait, together. Wait, uh, video on what Instagram? I put it on. It was my Insta story and my Facebook page. Yeah, I'm not. Oh right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. If anything that I see, I do through the minisexual Instagram, okay. and so yeah. If I'm creeping on anybody, it's through that. <laughs> and I'm not liking anything either. So well, good for it's nice to take a step back people. from social media. I just I feel like with Instagram, it was so like I'm. I'm not joining TikTok because I know I'll just be like sucked into that shit because yeah. it's interesting it and like there's, there's a lot, a lot of really good content too and um, I'm just trying to personally just be more present in the here and now and mm-hmm. not so much on my phone so I feel that it's never a bad thing yeah we're, we're like the highest in the country for COVID cases really? right now yeah but I think it's on they're, they're saying that the the Twin Cities and like the surrounding area is pretty okay it's the outskirts Really? Yeah. Gosh, I, well, I, wonder, I wonder what it's been like now with like the holiday and the holiday season upon yeah. us. Like, who knows? And not being able to be outdoors as much because, I mean, today's actually pretty nice out, but I, would, I think on Thursday it was like 12 degrees or something. Mm-hmm. It was really cold. Mm-hmm. We've had a little bit of snow here and there, nothing that's stuck around. But. Yeah. Yeah. And this weather is kind of nice. I mean, it's it sucks because you know it's climate changey yeah. shit, but like, yeah. I'm happy it's when the nice sun is shining because it gets dark so damn early. Oh, yeah. 36 degrees right now, and that Get feels it. like paradise. Enjoy this weather knowing about our impending doom. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and this will be your first Midwest winter in, what, eight years? Nine years. Nine years. Yep. So, okay. yeah. Paul has moved back from Phoenix a few months ago, mm-hmm. and we connected on social media on Facebook, I don't know, three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we finally got to meet in person shortly after the pandemic kind of kicked off, and yeah, you're one of the most, like, open, honest, authentic, um, willing-to-be-vulnerable men that I've ever met, which I appreciate, and 
Um, and my new favorite guest. <laughs> You'll find out why. I hope your other but. guests don't hear this. It's not a competition. But, <laughs> no, F them. It's fine. Oh, no. <laughs> what is she going to say about me in the future? <laughs> Damn. You're not allowed to listen to the future episodes. <laughs> yeah, no future episodes for me. But, um, no, Paul has really transformed a lot. I guess it's interesting because I know you as the you that you are now, but you've shared plenty with me about the person that you kind of used to be and patterns that you've undone and you've kind of rewired some things. And I think that it's going to be really powerful to hear you talk about um, things that you've done with men's groups, the Mankind Project specifically. And uh, I think that a lot of men don't still don't even know that these groups exist. So that's especially why I wanted to have you on Um, So you can just speak to how that's changed your life and how important it is and lessons you've learned and things like that. Um, Can I ask the first question? Yeah. What brought you to that? Um, If you can speak on it. Well, yeah, so I, um, I was like actively hurting my relationships with my intimate relationships with women I'm straight and so I was um an open relationship but yet I hid what was going on I didn't know how to be vulnerable and healthy with my sexuality and intimacy I was still very much traumatized and I didn't have any tools to just have a healthy relationship really period and not just with intimacy but even with friendships and with the way that I treated myself my relationship with myself was very poor um very abusive when it came to smoking tons of weed was my it's my main my uh substance for abuse and but otherwise like a lot of screen time a lot of porn a lot of movies a lot of checking out and just avoiding everything um but main addiction definitely is around sexuality and uh, the way that I showed up was very coercive and pushy. Um, I used to think that, you know, a lot of people, men in our culture definitely believe that rape looks like physically assaulting a woman and holding her down and forcing her. And that's not something of, not violence. That's not something I've ever done or ever capable of doing. Uh, yet, like, I didn't understand until I saw a therapist that coercive rape is a thing, so I have committed rape uh, through coercion, and that looks like me in the past hearing no, but and then trying to figure out, well, how can I manipulate her to get a yes? Can, do I just have to keep asking? Do I have to pretend that I want to be in a relationship with her when I don't? What do I have to say to fuck her? And that was something that really was prominent in every relationship that I had. And so it came to me uh, ending, well, sorry, I'm phrasing that wrong. She ended, my ex ended a relationship with me, which was really healthy and held that boundary and I had to move out. And and it was really important for me to go through that because it was part of people in my life at the time uh, holding my feet to the fire and saying behaviors are unacceptable and you have to change and you don't have a place around the dinner table anymore. You got to go. And that was, uh, jarring and I was 
you know, displaced for a moment, having to move out, stay with my uncle. Thank God he took me in. Uh, it was a very dark moment, and it was very important because I got to see the impact of how I was hurting people and understanding that, like, I didn't have any frame of reference for how to be healthy or different. So it was a very painful space facing that because I just didn't know how to be a healthy person at that point. So it was... I'm glad I didn't kill myself during that time because it was very suicidal and I didn't didn't have support or tools uh, or training on how to be healthy at the time. How did so you hear started. of the Mankind Project or men's? Is that the first men's group you've ever participated in? No. Uh, so the first men's group I participated in was actually a mentorship program which is actually created by Mankind Project, the group that I got involved with later as an adult. It's called Boys to Men, and it's not the R&B group. <laughs> it's actually spelled the way it sounds, not with a Z and a 2 in it. And uh, so I, I actually highly recommend it to anybody that's listening. If you know of uh, a, a boy who is uh, preteen to 17, and doesn't have healthy male role models in their life because it's a mentorship program for boys who need that. And so my mother recognized that I needed that when my dad was living in Arizona and I was living here when I was a kid. So she got me involved when I was 15 and it was great. So they, you know, held a, a weekend where it's kind of like a training weekend, which is similar to what they do with MKP, which is like an initiation thing because you need to be trained the content of the work to do the work, you know? Uh, you need to know the framework, how we process to do it. And MKP, sorry. Mankind, man, mankind, mankind Project. Mankind Project, yeah. Yeah, MKP, okay. yep. And MKP created Boys to Men. So when I was 15, I went through that work and got uh, an introduction to that kind of work. And it definitely helped a lot when I was 15 to go through it. And, um, you know, if I knew when I was 18, if I was clear on what the MKP was, uh, it would have been nice to have a track. I think uh, Boys to Men could, I don't know if they do it now. I mean, it's been a long time, but I think it'd be good to kind of create a track so boys that have done Boys to Men can then go to MKP when they're adults. Because if I started that work when I was 18, man, everything would have been much easier <laughs> in my life to have that support and that space. But... Yeah, so the Mankind Project itself is international men's group, and it exists on a local level, too. So a lot of cities have individual groups that meet up that are available and free to attend. And it's a space where men have the ability to do their work, their emotional, deep, vulnerable work with other men and be supported with processes on how to to heal and to change and to step into what what the new healthy looks like and it's very emotional a lot of emotional training because that's the core of it for a lot of men is we do not have the tools on how to process emotionally and I mean we've been so conditioned with boys don't cry that we're we put anger out when we're really blending it with fear shame sadness and so usually when a man is feeling anger it's a mix of those things mm -hmm. 
and rather than just being able to feel safe enough to just purely feel that sadness when there really may not be anger involved mm -hmm. but anger is safe because it's been shown as this is what men do and I think it's also a reason why a lot of violence is committed by men it's because they really just haven't received the training on how to reach a healthy conclusion with their feelings and there's been this process that I've been going through with this work where I've realized every single emotion is actually a guide and it's here to help us. So what I have in the framework of being a man, I've been taught that anger is okay, joy is okay, sadness is not okay, neither is shame or fear. Uh, but I've discovered that those other three emotions, shame, fear, and sadness, as well as anger, I mean, they all have a healthy side to it. That when I've been learning and easing into feeling these things and communicating with myself clearer that this is what I'm experiencing right now, I have the ability to actually listen to my emotions and show up authentically and be real about what I'm experiencing, which is deep in my relationships. And it's, uh, I can trust myself now, which is huge because that hit me at one point through this work that I didn't trust myself and that was devastating to actually really own that and feel that and to feel the pain of that. And, and it took a while because I had to learn to trust myself to know that I got my back. I can take care of myself. That was huge for me. So each of those... Can I ask one question yeah. before you continue? I, I just, um, so when did you start with men, the, the, okay. what... I understand what brought you there, but when did you start? It was, uh, I got trained in uh, Prescott, Arizona, and that was in October of 2013. So, so you've been doing this for a while. Yeah, I've been yeah. doing it for a bit. Um, but then Boys to Men, I did start that when I was 15. I think I did it for about two years, 15 to 17. And, yeah, so emotionally, um, let's talk about fear first. So fear is built into our bodies. It's the fight or flight response. It's our sympathetic nervous system. It's something we are literally, um, you know, we're biologically experiencing that when it comes up. And it, it's a survival tool at its core. It's supposed to keep us safe. And, it, and for the most part, it can. The part where it gets mixed up is when we get, our, we get triggered with fear over these small mundane life things that can keep us frozen up. But I've discovered that fear is, it's a what if emotion. And so it's like when I don't have solutions for the problem that's in front of me, that's when my fears come up. And that's where my brain just kind of fills in the gaps of like what if could happen. And it's, there's usefulness to that when I'm willing to listen and realize that these are just thoughts that I'm experiencing and it's not actually reality. These fears that I'm experiencing aren't actively happening in this moment, but they could if I don't do something about it. So I find that fear can actually help be a guide to understand what I don't want. And so when I listen to my fears, I can see this is what I don't want to create. So then it gets me in a space of being clear on what I am doing instead, what I'm creating, how am I addressing the fear, 
how am I showing up in action to actually fix the problem? And so there's value in that process when I'm willing to listen to my fear and also just hold space for that and give myself a moment to feel scared and to be okay with that. And it's a relief. It's actually a, a um, it's an emotional release that I experience when I allow myself to feel fear and listen to it. And I get a little bit of guidance on how to move forward. And then shame has been a big one because it's like internalized toxicity that we've been taught from other people, essentially. Culturally, from our parents, from our school, from other kids that may have picked on us. Or people that we love, even, that you know may have not been aware of something that they're imprinting on us would have impacted us negatively. And so in that way, it's kind of a... Uh, Powerful. It's been powerful for me to own my shame and to understand that this is a weight that I've been carrying for a long time. This is something that no longer serves me. So when I have the opportunity to listen to my shame, man, that's such a trigger for me because shame really like sets me off on like abusing myself. That's I've used shame as a way of being addictive and numbing myself out, not wanting to feel. Uh, but when I'm willing to receive my shame, it's a, it's a very powerful because I have the ability to see that what my internal workings are like, the narrative, the things I've been telling myself that has shaped my perception and how I experience this world has been partially formed by shame. And when I allow myself to ex express these shameful things, I'm literally looking at an agreement that I made with myself. So shame is like agreements. So I can, when I feel shame, it's like a trailhead to the work that I have to do. When I am aware of, right now I'm shaming myself because I'm, like, let's say I'm like, I, I guess I could play it to here. It's like I'm feeling insecure for talking on a podcast for the very first time, right? And it's like, if I take a look at that and follow that trailhead down, it's like, well, where have I experienced that feeling before? In new situations, when I do something new, I get triggered because I'm scared of failing. So if I actually listen to that, give myself some compassion around it, then I can give myself permission to fail. Then I can change that agreement. And instead of saying that it's unacceptable to fail, which may have actually been the root of the agreement, instead I can reform that and be like, actually... Failing is a part of learning and growing, and it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to be messy and rough around the edges. And it's it's a nice release to be able to own that shame and to specifically replace it with what's healthy and what works. And that's the part of shame that I realized that is so crucial. It's it's more than just a trailhead. It's like following through that work until the end. you work through that trail, go through the journey of going through that emotional hurt and learning to love myself for that and step into the new journey and get to the end of it and realize like, okay, so this is specifically the action that I'm taking. And this is what I'm doing that is now the new behavior that's loving and healthy and self-care that will replace this old shameful idea of who I am. And it's, it's nice to actually do that work. It takes time. It's painful. This is a really messy process. 
by the way. Like, Why so it's, many it's so easy it. to talk. Yeah, it's so easy to talk about this logically, but like in pro in practice, this has looked painful and really challenging for me. Um, and it's also something I keep getting better at. You know, it's not like I'm methodical with this. It's very, it's very messy. <laughs> and then for uh, sadness is actually a pretty powerful gift of an emotion as far as I see it when I allow myself to feel it it's a cleansing emotion it's about grieving it's about letting go it's about accepting change and it's about looking at what was and what no longer isn't it's about accepting that the hurt that comes with change so I think a good way to put it and We've also discovered stuff like when we cry through our tears, we're, ex we're actually releasing the stress hormone. So there's direct value to our bodies right when we cry. Uh, it brings us immediate relief. And it's also, I found that when I apply attention to crying and to sadness, I I feel lighter afterwards because I'm I, I, if I apply a little bit of, um, emotional honesty to it and clarity, then it allows me to really just accept what is now and kind of take a look at, well, what does it look like moving forward now that I'm experiencing this loss? This thing is no longer a part of my life. This relationship, this person died. I no longer have access to this resource in my life or I no longer own this thing that was really helpful. Whatever it is, all of that does have an impact on us, and there's a normal process of feeling sadness to to step into the new way that we exist without that thing, without that connection. It really is just about connection at the core. Um, and grief brings us close. It's actually a bonding tool, I've realized, in fact, I found that grief bonds us even closer than joy does. And it's because it allows us to see each other. It allows us to be vulnerable with each other and to love each other deeper for the parts that we're not used to receiving love around. That's so true. <clears throat> it's nice when that you meet somebody who can hold that space for you and you're not, like, um, just to pop in for a second, um, I was in a relationship where this person who has done men's work as well has encouraged me to like let it out like why are you trying to hold it in and fight back the tears like if you need to scream and I like put my face in the pillow and he's rubbing my back and he's like urging me like let it out and I had these feelings of like shame like well this is going to be embarrassing or he's going to see me differently or he's going to think I'm weak or all this stuff and that wasn't the case at all like he was happy to hold that space for me and it helped me to see like oh he's not actually going to think differently of me if I let this out and it did build more of a bond and it's just like so interesting how men like you're socialized to keep it in like you mentioned and so I know so many women who are like I just wish that my partner could be vulnerable with me and that's such an issue because there's this thing like oh no you have to put up this strong presence um, like crying isn't strong or it shows weakness and it's like that's so twisted how we've learned that and how we've taught boys and men that it's a shameful thing so I'm just I don't know I'm so glad that these men's groups exist 
Yeah, because this the... is important stuff that we need to just normalize. <sighs> yeah, create that cultural vulnerability to be safe now, rather mm-hmm. than trade upon, which has been the norm. But I mean, just to I want to share really quickly what you shared. That mask that we wear has been what has been killing so many men. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating in the word of death because mm-hmm. it brings us to war. It has it's so many people dying in COVID because of this exact thing, because of the ego and this whole, like, I won't get vaccinated, don't believe COVID's real. It's just, like, this strong man fucking hollow at the core BS because that strong man thing is actually weak as hell. And it's it's a front to say I'm strong when really that's what they want to project and they want to gaslight the world to make people believe that's what's going on. But the truth is that strength is vulnerability. And it's a huge myth that so many people in our cultural have culture have believed that vulnerability is weakness because we've made it so normal to prey on vulnerability. The reality is, is that when we're vulnerable in a safe space where we have the ability to discern that these people care about me and I am going to be respected for being vulnerable, I'm not going to be violated, but they're going to hear my boundaries and they're going to love me for it. That's where that bond that you're talking about can be created is through that willingness to share that pain to cry out to be seen for it and to be loved for it is where we can get to when we allow ourselves to experience it is love around parts that we thought weren't worthy of love and another part of the mask is like one of the first things they did in boys to men with the weekend training is there was a lot of drumming and this tent that was like far off in the woods and we didn't know exactly what was going on. And the men greeted us with masks and it was like kind of created this feeling of like what this fear of like, what's going to happen? Why are these men in masks? You know, like we're boys. Are we going to have to fight? Like are we in danger? (laughs) You know, it's a feeling that came up. It was intense. So that was part of the experience and that was meant to do that was to ex- to have us experience that fear and like and the vulnerability of that fear in mm-hmm. the beginning and then they brought us one by one down to the tent and where they're drumming and it just had this powerful throbbing like energy to it right like it was pulsing with the drums and the energy of them playing it and they're just so animated the way that they were moving while playing drums and then we were all in the tent. They all stopped at once. And then there was just silence for like a sort of good minute or two. They just didn't say anything. We just held that, that like sit there in the air, just this feeling being in that moment. And then eventually one man stepped forward and talked about the literal emotional mask that he wears in his life and how that shows up mm-hmm. and how it holds him from connection and how he hides himself behind this mask. So then once he spoke to what the mask actually is and action in his life, he took off the mask and then he talked about what was underneath it, the emotions that he was really experiencing and feeling. Mm. 
and got to show who he really was underneath it. And then every man did that too, as a way of introducing themselves. This is the mask I wear and this is the man underneath. And so there's value in that mask when it comes to protecting ourselves. And there's, it's not a matter of the mask is good or bad. It's a tool. And the thing is, is it's just an overused tool in our culture to where it's become ineffective because we're so guarded that we, a lot of us don't know how to be vulnerable when we are safe. We don't have, a lot of us don't have the emotional tools to be able to just let the fuck go to experience our messiness and the pain that we're in, which actually brings us closer to healing. There's an absolute rule in healing. I practice massage therapy too. And it's, it's a rule of human condition of you have to feel it to heal it. It's required work. My clients that all the time. Yeah, it's required in order to feel it. So a lot of men are wearing their masks and that is their only mode and they haven't learned how to be soft, vulnerable, how to be safe for themselves and how to be safe for other people when it comes to their emotions. A lot of people are bottling it up and suppressing what they're feeling, which is why so many people have the very common pattern of don't feel numb, 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 explode. Mm -hmm. And that's when the emotions just become too much. And then there's this big release, but and then they go back to the behavior, bottle up, bottle up, bottle up. And a lot of men are living that. I mean, this isn't just men, women, are, there are a lot of women doing this too. It's definitely a cultural thing, but it impacts men so harshly because of the boys don't cry mantra that we've, well, sickness really that we've trained like imprinted into our boys who then become men and then they are still emotionally hurting and stuck because none of it's been resolved mm -hmm. so they're still operating from that wound they're still operating from those coping mechanisms that they learned as a response to their trauma mm -hmm. and that ruled me for a very long time and like i was sharing before that's when it came to the point where it was too much and it was a matter of wanting to commit suicide or knowing that I had a change and I'm really glad that I found this work to help me through it because I I don't know I mean it's a very real possibility I could have killed myself if I find MKP work you know I mean like thankfully it's not that dark timeline for me at least I'm here and I'm glad I'm doing the work because this is this does in my opinion have the ability to save us like, period. Like, if we're going to change these problems in the world, then we have to heal ourselves. And we and it's not just this independent idea that we have in our country. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps doesn't only apply to money, but it also applies to emotional work. We do that to each other all the damn time. Where it's like, you know, if somebody goes through pain, how common is it? Like, well, at least it wasn't as bad as this. Or, like, are you over it yet? It's been enough time, right? Like, everybody's process is different. But the truth is that, like, we have to experience those feelings to move through it, and it, you know? But when we have the tools to actually move through it, then that gets us to the other side, to the solution, to be able to collaborate and work together and to actually create something different. It comes down to all emotional emotional experience it's all emotions 
And this has been proven too. Like we've learned this, we know this about the human condition. So we've learned that we are dis- we are emotional decision makers. In fact, like so, there's when people that have received brain damage uh, from accidents where they no longer have the ability to experience emotion because their prefrontal cortex is damaged. And with that, they actually can't make basic decisions anymore. Like, they literally can't. They need caretakers because they can't choose, like, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Like, basic, basic human stuff. They need somebody else there to help them through that now. And so we've learned through these cases that we, at the core navigate emotionally through all of our decisions Mm -hmm. and by understanding that it really helps because i mean just look around and think about that for a moment like how many times have you made decisions emotionally i mean like every time right almost every damn time Uh, i mean there's a mix of logic there of course logic is a part of this but this idea that we've kind of had of like wanting to exercise our emotions from the from the thought, the process of making decisions has been fucking us up. Look at corporate. Like, that's exactly how a lot of corporations work, is they're so callous and unfeeling, and look at what damage that's doing. Like, they're leaving out the emotional process, and so it's this unfeeling machine of how much profit can we make? We will die and kill for it. Like, like how dark. Yeah. Rather than just being right. Rather than Jeff Bezos saying, I'm uh, a bit subconscious about my bald fucking head. (laughs) Right? I mean, whatever his issue is, Mm -hmm. is like my baldness may, or like I feel like I need to masculine, be masculine and project this like strong man thing because I am like Amazon, you know? Like, I'm sure like these are parts of his experience. I'm just Mm -hmm. assuming here. But like the bald head thing is not something that you've heard. That is. <laughs> have you read yeah, an like, article where he's like, "I'm a little insecure about." I know that could have just been a really like lame thing to say. Sorry for all the bald people. I also like that you said that he is okay Amazon because you. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm just mean like taking these little insecurities and turning it into a monster, which I see happen all the time in corporate. Is some of these men are so insecure at the core. I mean, like, look at Trump. That guy is the most insecure man I've ever seen in my entire life. And now I'm thinking of this woman who I know who was recently put into, like, senior living, and she has Alzheimer's and, like, can't make her own decisions. And it's just, like, she probably doesn't even really recognize it. I mean, at times maybe, but it's just, like, what a feeling of kind of helplessness and disconnect. Mm -hmm. That would just be so... Isolating. Yeah. I was having a lot of, like, emotional things happening as you were talking because I think that anybody who gives a shit about a man in their life, and I have several men in my life, my dad, my two brothers, like, that we were close growing up. I can't not feel something for them, and knowing that they could benefit from something, like, if they knew that this existed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people come I, I just, like, I can't wait to tell them about it now that I'm listening to you talk, so. Yeah, it's, it's huge. A lot of men go into the space, and a very common thing that I hear for people that are new is speaking to how this is the first time in my life that I've been in a group of men where it's been safe to be vulnerable and real about what I'm feeling 
and to be supported for it mm -hmm. beyond that and be supported. Mm -hmm. So not only have they never experienced that it was safe to communicate it, but beyond that have never received support from men where it was emotionally helpful to them. Mm -hmm. Like they like some men like have never been helped by a man emotionally. Yeah. Like, wow. That's like pretty. That's that's really sad. My biological sad. father comes to mind. His dad was really rough on him, and it was like be a man. And you two know my biological father, and look how that has presented itself. It's a tragedy. Honestly. Yeah, culturally, I mean, across cultures, there's the, um, just very specifically what I've observed about East Indian culture for men is that, like, mental health is not a thing, traditionally mm -hmm. speaking. I don't know present day. But yep. uh, many <laughs> fathers tell their sons to go take a nap if they're feeling depressed or whatever. And, like, they have a very simple <clears throat> solution for it. It's like, oh, just go do this. Oh, Sleep just go out. do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily talked about. So. Without addressing anything that's really going yeah. Push it away, yeah. shove it down, right? Mask it, and disguise having, it, cover it up with substances. Mm -hmm. And having dated uh, people of color, in my experience, a lot of that is prevalent in uh, Latinx, Latinx uh, culture, and um, and I would say probably for m men and women, non-binary, it's just like pretty pervasive. So. I'd be so curious just to sit in and, like, observe a men's group because I could see Me too. some men, like, having a hard time letting that wall down. Like, even though you're seeing others do it, which kind of sets the stage of it. Like, for example, to be somebody who goes first. Mm -hmm. Like, how much do I put out there? And, like, um, someone that I know who's done men's work, like... He said some things come up and other men share things that piss you off and they trigger something in you and you get angry and you don't know if you like that person. But then you start to break things down and you understand like, wow, this they were hurting and this is why they did this. And they didn't know how to show up. And it's just like, we all have our shit. But to like hear from all these different people with their different life experiences and their upbringings and the way that that's presented itself... Um, it's just unreal, and it's sad that we're so disconnected because the fact that we're all feeling this stuff and we're all going through it, but it's one of those things that, like, no, we got to keep that, like, behind closed doors. And that's why we have some yeah. problems. Yeah, we got to hide these emotional experiences from other yeah. people because that mask must be maintained, and we must, like, project this idea of how we want to control, like, how exhausting to want to control how everybody experiences us. Mm -hmm. I have no, the reality is oh we God. don't have control over that. Mm -hmm. And that's the truth. People are going to project, they're going to put us through their filter, which is why it's so important to have that discernment and understand where am I really at emotionally right now? What am I experiencing? If somebody's projecting something at me, is, is there reality to that for me mm -hmm. that I can own? Or is it just a projection that I can have compassion for and boundaries? Yeah. Where I'm not letting this person hurt me because of their projection, which happens a lot. Like, we hurt each other for our projections a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, so how can I maintain my well-being? And, you know, that's what boundaries come in big time. But uh, I want to speak to how you were talking about how... Um, so, like, 
there is a process in MKP for that specifically. Uh, how when so when we do our work, and it's very normal that when a man does his work, sometimes it'll be like, he's doing my work for me, and realize I had that work to do. Like he's bringing up stuff that's within me that I realize now I'm gonna have I have work and processing to do around a very similar thing, and. In that way, it's actually like there's a benefit to the mankind project's work that I found has been more helpful for me than just traditional therapy, because there is that uh, community of coming together of the minds, and there's that there's something about the it being healed in a in a container. It's like it's a public space, but it's a container, so it's like we're not doing it with like other people watching. We make it a safe space, mm -hmm. but it is, you know, it's still, we're not alone. We're doing it in a group. Yeah. And so part of the work that has been really effective for me is that there's this process called, I'm not going to explain too much of the work that we do because there is value in men approaching this work and not knowing some parts mm. of the process so they can just directly experience it for the first time. And there's value in that so they can just, have that initial emotional experience that's personal to them where it's not tainted with spoilers you know what I mean that makes a lot of sense yeah but I feel like I can share this part which has been really useful for me is we have this process called clearing and it's one of the rounds that we do it's part of one of the rounds that we do and so with the clearing we take a look around the room and it has an opportunity to own what you're talking about and say I have an emotional charge with you, and it could be positive or negative. Um, so, like, I may be looking at a man across the room, and he may be bringing me, like, great joy because his face reminds me of somebody I love, for example. And I've actually had somebody clear a uh, similar one with me. He cleared with me and he said, I, you remind me of me a lot when I was younger, and mm. it's bringing back really loving memories about myself. And I just want to clear that because... The point of the clearing is to get present in the moment and to let go of any emotional responses that are happening mm -hmm. when I look around the room at other men, right? Mm -hmm. So I can be more present and it brings that honesty. It's about clearing the projection. So on the negative side, which is more common, is that I might be triggered by somebody else in the room because of their work or because of something they said before. Or there may be an integrity issue that got me triggered. Like he said he would do something, but he didn't sort of thing. Um... But when we do the clearing, it is 100% of, like, I'm clearing with this man, but we make it very clear, like, what is this clearing about? We ask the man, and it's about me. Mm. I'm, I'm really clearing this with myself and owning that emotional experience that I'm having in response to what this stimulus was that got me triggered, you know? And that alone is a really powerful process because there's a lot of people who don't even have the experience of for the first time ever has never actually thought about like, Oh, how do I own my emotional experience in, in this moment? And so that's also, you know, there's the part where it's like, sometimes what that man is clearing with somebody else is totally spot on and real. And it's not just about the man doing the clearing, but there is truth about 
there's like that man is seeing something accurately in what that other man is doing mm-hmm. and so it may bring up work for him too which has tremendous value too because then there's space after that to do work around yeah. whatever comes up so i mean oh. it's and that's just to get into the work of doing the work so like this is like part we make the container safer and safer through these processes before we get to the work we own our emotional state we go into like that as process and some other things and then we do the work which is like anything so any man that has any work to do and literally any aspect of his life can step into that there and then we process and facilitate each other and 100 percent, it is all emotional it has everything to do with emotion like a man might start getting stuck up in his head about the story right and all the thing is is like men we cannot work it out from our heads or we would have already right that's not the way to solve the problem with these emotional experiences if you want to change it you have to feel it and it's uncomfortable and it's required there's no other way around that and this sort of space makes it much easier especially for people like myself who just didn't have the training and the framework to do this sort of thing before it's something that is okay to be a beginner in because almost all of us are and in that way it's kind of a relief because like these spaces do exist and there is training available on how to learn how to essentially be emotionally intelligent and healthy um the one i love everything you're saying uh the one thing the one question that i had was is there a is this like a dialogue sort of structure or like what is the structure of the meeting first and then how is this operating in the midst of covid right now yeah so with covid uh you know zoom Mm. Okay, so it's Zoom right now. Okay. Yeah, uh, and depends on the group and their agreements. So, you know, I was just living in Arizona, and every single group was Zoom. Uh, I've, now I'm here in Minnesota. I've reached out to a few of the local groups to see what's going on, and so some of them are meeting in public in like parks and stuff. I don't know what they're doing now that it's colder. But I yet actually have to find my new home group, the one that I work with weekly here in Minnesota. I'm going to be doing this sometime, either December or January, and finding my new my new group. And But I'm going to actually kind of do a little, what, I like, what we kind of like call a like traveling magician thing, which is like, um, it's an archetype of the magician. So it's like I'm going to be traveling and visiting each group and with kind of that sort of, transformative energy of like who do i connect with here where's the chemistry are these my people do i want to commit to this it's nice to have options yeah yeah there's quite a few groups here it's uh, i think like at least double digits i think the twin cities is at least 10 groups it's wild that's a lot well that's good city but okay so then uh, this is a personal question maybe why wouldn't you just stick with the group if it's all via zoom why wouldn't you just stick with the group that you have in arizona i want to um I want to do start, the magician thing. Well, I want to start creating friendships and connections here. Got it. And <clears throat> I'm like, I'm ready to. I love the peace warriors, the men that I was working with at the end. Like, 
I may end up just dropping in on some calls sometimes. And that's the nice thing about this work is you can just, you know, I can just rejoin them. Yeah. On Zoom at any point. Um, but yeah, I'm like ready to just move forward with community here and to start connecting. I've been so focused on the move that I haven't really reached out yet much to people. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're kind of, you're new here, like months. Mm-hmm. August. <clears throat> yeah, that's months. Yeah. So. Starting out. Mm-hmm. That move is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a woman, uh, whether it's a friend or romantic partner, shame you for being vulnerable or call you on it? Like, I'm just coming to mind right now. Um, I, there's been a couple of men who I know who've been like kind of ridiculed for like showing emotion. Mm-hmm. Shit. And that so that's sucks. obviously going to make them retreat mm-hmm. and then wonder is this actually a safe space with this other person? Yeah, I think one okay, one piece of it is men, we can't rely on our romantic, intimate female partners to deliver that as our only source of safety for vulnerability, for one. Mm-hmm. It's not their responsibility, my dude. And do you want to put that only on her? Are some of the things that you're communicating with her, are they even appropriate for her? Mm-hmm. So you have to be aware of that. Like, is this within her boundaries, even? to hold that space first off really important so it's good to have that conversation first ask for it see if it's consensual is she in the space to be able to emotionally support because we've made it such a common thing where hey women carry my fucking load will ya my burden oh we're in a relationship now well my emotional work is now your work which isn't true men like that it's not their work. It's your work, and it will always be your work. If you're not with that woman, you're going to have that work no matter what, and she can't do it for you. Only you can do it. She can support you and love you while you're doing the work, and there are some things that the work will involve her because it's your relationship with women that you may be healing, and that will be appropriate if she's willing to hold space for it, right? Mm-hmm. God has permission. And if she's not, it's still okay. You can still heal it. It's not her fucking responsibility. It's your work. So, like, I really think this kind of work is awesome because it is completely consensual. Men are there for it. So it's like, but not only that, but it's like, men, there are some things you cannot work out as a man with women. Like, you have to do some of this work with other men because it's specific to being a man and a woman cannot relate to some of these things (laughs) in the way that men can relate and support you and help move you through it they won't have the specific tool set that you will need to be trained to be healthy that is specific like the thing is is that these emotional tools are non-gendered right they apply to everybody period but the experience of using these tools is different and that's where it matters is that's where it's important to process it with men because other men can relate to the experience of what we, what we've been trained, what we've been traumatized with, in our culture around what masculinity looks like, and women can't resolve our masculine wound. Men can resolve our masculine wounding, just as we can't resolve the female wound for women. That's their work to do with other women. And yeah. What is the, is there a specific like framework that's carried through all of the groups, like something that they adhere to? I'm just curious about like the origin possibly of that framework, if there is one. Who was invented by, was it white Uh, men or somebody of color? Good question. Uh, 
so Carl Jung, uh, Jungian psychology. Uh, Jung is an amazing man. That guy was like from another planet, I yep. swear. It I was like literally he was an alien, but in the right ways. <laughs> Where he was like a conduit for like healing, I swear. I don't know what it was about Young, but he was cosmically involved or something. Because the shadow work is a lot about like what he does. A lot of work that we do in MKP is shadow work. And shadow work looks like owning the trauma, essentially. That's the best way to put it. It's just like owning the darkness of the human soul and learning how to be healthy with it. Because every single person has darkness. And if anybody tells you differently, they're hiding it and they're hurting and they aren't ready to deal with it. And that's okay. But they're dangerous. So people, like, it's true. Is that, like, you can't be healthy and well-rounded without owning the darkness. And, you know, like, if I didn't own the pain that I've created from my trauma, then I wouldn't have been able to change it. Um, so this is something I just posted as a Facebook thing recently but trauma makes villains of us all and it's i mean look at every anti-hero story every sympathetic villain we've ever had every straight villain we've ever had their origins are always trauma and then it's like same thing with a lot of the heroes right their origin is almost always trauma too but what's the difference between the hero and the villain is that the hero confronts their trauma the hero owns their trauma they learn how to love themselves and they become empowered because of it and they change. And that's like, that's the story that we've been telling over and over again. It's all comes down to our pain and what we do with it. So if we don't do anything with our pain, we're going to continue those coping mechanisms that we've learned. We're going to inflict the same trauma that we've received because we haven't dealt with it. If we deal with it, then we can become the person that we choose to be, we can resolve it and own it and learn how to love it and have those tools, which will also allow us to help other people with boundaries and support. And love it. Um, so is it difficult for you meeting new people and you can see like, this is someone who's not addressing their work that they need to do. Like for me, um, like in the vegan space, like I see non-vegans and like, okay, there's this disconnect and like you want to help them, but you know, it's kind of their work that they have to do. Um, I mean, I assume that you've probably recommended the Mankind Project or men's group to other people. Do people receive that well or do they take offense or do they actually like take you up on it and join these groups? Yeah, I've had people take me up on it. Um, and I, I mean, maybe there's people that have felt offended um but i typically bring it up in situations where i'm i'm being aware of their space and where they're at so i haven't received like uh offense as a response um but usually you know i'll share it in a space where a man is being vulnerable with me and i'm being vulnerable with him and so that's when it makes sense to share it and to let him know that hey like I've made progress with these things because of this work. And, um, but otherwise, like, yeah, if, if somebody's not, like you're saying, if somebody's not ready to do the work, then that's been something I've, my personality has a hard time with. Uh, I'm, I've done like that 
one archetype test. I can't remember what it's called, but essentially determine like I'm a challenger. The sixteen that's, personalities. Yes, test. that yeah. yeah. So that's one of my big big parts of my personality. I'm a challenger, and that is something that I have been learning how to. I can't turn it off, so I have to learn how to be uh, aware and respectful with it because I haven't always been. You know, like I'm the type of person where I'll see somebody and I can see through their mask. And I can see the pain that they're actually in, which is why I do really good massage work. It's because I'm very good at holding space for that and having compassion and love for it. Um, the problems that's come up for me with the challenger is I can get a little too uh, manhandly with it, you know, like how we get pushy and shit. That can come up. Like I can get angry at Trump supporters, and there's like a warrior part of me that likes to go to battle with that stuff, but it doesn't ever create the impact that I'm looking for and I'm aware of that and I'm owning that which is what you're speaking to which is like I'm starting to learn to have the discernment of whether this person is ready to do the work or not and if they're ready to do the work and that's when like I can actually help them find a great resource and connect and even then being clear on the fact that it's like there's a little shadow piece in me that likes to get involved in other people's stuff and it, the shadow part of it has to do with me avoiding my own self-work mm. to build myself up as if I'm better than that person. It was a totally part of it. Like, I can help you out because I'm in a better space. It's kind of like this way of avoidance for me. I've used that as a way of avoidance. And so now I'm aware that uh, I'm getting way better with that boundary now of understanding of, like... I would sincerely like to help people, but now I'm reserving that for people that are really actually willing to show up because that is a wonderful energy I have when I use it in healthy situations. Right. Otherwise, that exact thing can quickly turn toxic and it can be harmful because if somebody's not ready to own this stuff and, and look at it, then they are going to make me their target. Right. I'm the one delivering that. I'm the one doing that to them. They're the victim. I'm the perpetuator just for simply pointing out a reality about their situation, mm -hmm. which is where the projections come in. So, yeah, so as a challenger personality type, that's been a big one for me, being clear on that. I think it's really cool how you you own up to your shit. Like, there's been times when we've been hanging out, and you're like, all right, a little bit ago when you said this, my immediate reaction was this. And it might be something that's not positively received by the other person, but you speak to it and you're like, and I realize why that was fucked up or wrong or whatever, but I just wanted to like put that out there that this is what I was feeling in that moment. And I love that because it's rare that we get such an honest glimpse into somebody and like their inner workings. So I love that you share those things. And I think people owning up to stuff that they've said or done that's like hurt someone or hurt themselves is a really difficult thing to do. So many people are unwilling to own up to their shit. And it's hard. It puts you in that vulnerable space. Like, I was wrong. But it shows such a display of, like, strength and character when you're willing to speak to it. Well put. Yeah, so you have to be wrong to grow. It's like, and there's a relief in that, too. There's so many people that are stuck in this idea of I always need to be right. Mm -hmm. And when I started learning that, like, oh, I'm wrong a lot of the time. And I'm going to learn how to be okay with that and to learn and change from that. God damn. Like, I just, I'm way less stressed out all the time now. Because 
I'm in a space of learning rather than a space of controlling. Mm -hmm. And when I try to tell everybody I'm right all the time, it's a space of controlling and trying to tell the world that they need to bend to how I think things should be for my comfort. And that's where a lot of people are operating. I think that's actually one of the biggest uh, pains that people carry around in our culture is this I'm right shadow and how we project that on other people. And we're so afraid of being wrong as if that's weakness, but that's the mind trick we play in ourselves is that it is actually strength and that is what change looks like is admitting like, oh, I was wrong there. Yeah. And I'm sorry and I am not just I'm sorry, but the apology is meaningful when this is the action that I'm taking to be different and to be concrete on that. Yes. And to know and to be honest about it. It's like, hey, I'm working on changing this now and I'm just beginning and I'm gonna be messy and like so I'm gonna keep working on it and that's not an excuse to continue the old behavior, but I'm just being honest with like I'm not gonna immediately be able to flip that switch and be this different person but now i'm working on it right yeah that's what a real apology and a sincere like honest i think uh what's the word um amends that's what real amends look like in yeah. my opinion it's mm -hmm. changed behaviors mm -hmm. actions can speak much louder than words mm -hmm. um can you speak to any, it's like, it seems like most communities have some kind of like toxicity within them. Have you seen this in um, particular men's groups? Or I know that I've heard, um, well, the person I know, the other person I know who's done men's work, um, he said that one of the guys in his group, his girlfriend accused it of being like cult-like. And like, is that a thing that pops up? Do you hear people deem these things cultish? Yeah, so MKP, uh... There's, like, articles on it. Is MKP a cult? And so I've actually done a lot of studying on cults myself just because of how sicker culture is. Um, I may turn off some viewers from this one, but unpopular opinion, Christianity is a cult. I mean, but it is actually when you take a look at the defining characteristics of what a cult is. Mm -hmm. So defining characteristics is you have a main leader or, like, a person that you worship, Jesus, uh, you, you, you know, you give your loyalty to them. Um, you're, you'll give money to them. Uh, you will essentially push out other people in your life that don't match the rhetoric, right? Um, you, so you'll end relationships. So that way you're cutting off your source of other pe other ways of thinking. Um, and then you'll also like change your lifestyle. You'll, you know, like... So all these things, it's Christianity. Christianity is a cult. It's always, it always has been. Sorry if that triggers you, but it's true. And so the reasons why... Oh, and they don't tell you to think for yourself. So that's a huge one. Huge defining factor. If you think for yourself, if you, think for yourself, if you ask certain questions, it's met with shame and anger and fear. And so those are all ways of controlling people within a cult. The reason that MKP strictly isn't a cult, there isn't, we're all leaders, so we actually change that role often. So when we're in group every single week, it's a different man that's the leader. There isn't a specific person. Same thing with the, there are people who have shown up in MKP that have done a lot of work. So of course there are leaders in the group that have naturally emerged to get shit done and have been that catalyst for certain things happening. Um, 
and yet there's no particular we're not worshiping anybody we're not yeah. worshiping a thing you're encouraged to feel your feelings think for yourself and, and that's the other yeah. piece is that's the core of it is that we're told to think for ourselves also there's no demand of money um so it's very much not a cult um mkp for them i mean it depends on each group right some groups have dues and it's just specifically only to pay for the space nobody is profiting on the yeah. groups themselves nobody at any group and then the other piece is they're very transparent about what happens with the money for the training like they straight up show us like what happens like uh i think like the leader of that training um because there's like the person that like man the leader the leaders in these training like they have been trained so much to be able to show up with that energy and mm -hmm. that you know like that guidance but those guys are paid i think like three grand or something for that weekend and they deserve it because it's work yeah. you know and like i have no problem in that and but the fact that they're transparent about it and they show like this is where the money goes it is a non-profit um the organization itself because you know there's still a lot of pieces that need to be put in place to make this happen the website there's there's operational costs so um yeah so all that money is like just to take care of it otherwise there's nobody getting rich off of mkp absolutely mm -hmm. not <laughs> yeah transparency is huge yeah so it's not a cult um but talk about problems within it and you, you brought up people of color before uh like people that lead it like so that's a part of the shadow. Yeah, there's totally, there's toxicity in every community, right? This isn't like some pure, like, <clears throat> entity here. Nothing is. Right. There's shadows and there's work to be done in any group of people, period. We all have work to do all the time. And, you know, so like, the Mankind Project, it didn't used to be safe for gay men in the past. This is before I was a part of it. This is pre-2013, right? And so there's, there was a process of when, you know, like culturally we were changing and we finally legalized gay marriage, moving on. MKP realized it had to move on and there's a lot of, it's mainly run by boomers, right? So, um. Like back then or now? Still. Oh, okay. It's, it's a lot of older people. Okay. But, I mean, respect to these boomers, these are boomers that are actually doing their work, man. I mean, like, really doing their work. Especially, yeah, I feel like that generation is filled with people oh, they who need it. Don't, yeah, I mean, haven't done the work. need it, period, but, like, boomers extra need it. They have the power. They have, like, they have so much influence. Like, jeez, imagine if all boomers did this work. I think we'd be saved immediately. But, so, um, yeah, so, like, they did this work uh, around their shadow of homophobia, and it completely changed MKP. So now it is a safe space for gay people. And now... It's actually a safe space for people that identify as men, no matter what your original gender was when you were born. So, um, which is really cool. So, like, there's a lot of gay people in there, and there's some trans men, too. And it's with the trans part, of course, MKP is continuing to grow because that's culturally MKP's, like, culturally where we're at, MKP is, like, above, like, a, ahead of the curve, right? And, like growing and being more progressive so like mkp is like doing much better with trans community now and i'm really proud of the men there because but like 
for doing this work and to finally like own these shadows. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of people in leadership now that are trans and gay. Uh, so that changed pre me joining. So that, since me joining, um, there has been a serious shadow that's finally coming to a head and now they're doing training around it. And I'm proud of the men for showing up for this, but there's a racial shadow. It's a bunch of white men. And we haven't been making it safe for people of color. And that's, like, been a serious problem in this work. Because, so, there's been certain things that, like, I've always kind of been, like, I've known as a white man. Like, that's not, that's not compassionate. Like, so we've, we've been using indigenous practices in MKP without permission or leadership of indigenous people like burning sage, calling in the four directions, sweat lodges. Drumming. Heard it. Drumming, yeah, but that's all over the place. I mean, drumming is culturally... Indigenous. Yes, mm-hmm. but I'm saying globally. Mm. That's not just not just from America, indigenous Americans, but Africa too, and, you know also mm. south america like i'm just saying drumming is like global that's all um but anyways so like there hasn't been um fully like ownership around that and i feel like that's kind of something that's now kind of unfolding it's like i don't i used to say aho a lot which is an indigenous word and like that's our way of like honoring each other in the group but like since then i've actually stopped and now i say thank you and uh, I've been encouraging other men to do that, too. Um, just because it's like, that's not our word. We weren't given permission. There aren't indigenous people leading these processes. It'd be different if we had them leading it. Than, right. Like, if we invited them in, which is, like, something to be amazing. And I hope that that sort of thing happens in the future. Is like, MKP does reach out to different communities to invite them in and to actually, like, really make it safe. But there's been, like... A lot of black men too that have left the groups too because it's like they don't feel safe to talk about the racial stuff that they've been going through because these white men don't have the fucking capacity to hold space for it because it's so triggering to them and their racism mm. that like they make it unsafe for that black man to be in group and that's like come up quite a bit too like that's not okay that doesn't work so there's been a lot of processes and training specifically for white men in MKP around their racial shadow. Uh, there's one workshop that I took online. It's called Understanding Privilege, um, Difference, and some other word. <laughs> I can't remember shit. Whoops. Um, difference and... I can't remember. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to soak on that. But it's training for white men on, like... I didn't know what equity was versus equality, honestly, before that training. And now I understand that equality is like a one-size-fits-all solution, which doesn't really work in a lot of situations. Equity is understanding the different needs between different groups of people. It's more intersectional because it will help people for their situation for where they're at rather than, hey, like, let's do the same thing for everybody, which doesn't actually address all the problems for right. different groups. Um, and I didn't understand target, ver- target groups versus non-target groups and how I'm incredibly privileged because I'm... Uh, straight male who's white who like middle-ish middle-ish class right so even for money i'm still in like oh 
the on-target group. Um, like almost everything, except maybe um, the fact that I'm polyamorous and uh, I grew up going to pagan festivals. So those are the two where I'm in a non-target, or I'm in a target group. Because, you know, like, target being people that are preyed upon, non-target, people that are, like, normal in our culture mm-hmm. and aren't, have the privilege, you know, non-target with privileged people. So this is, like, stuff that really has helped me be more compassionate and just understanding my own internalized racism. Because I really do agree and I believe that every white person has internalized racism, period. Either you're working on healing your racism or you're racist. That's it. I mean, well, I think it's accurate to say every white person has racism, um, but you're either actively a racist or you're healing your racism is the difference. Yeah, so that's a, a big shadow in the MKP, and I really hope that the... I, I, I trust it. I do think the future MKP is going to look like much more diverse groups of men, where it is going to be safe, where we're going to have these the safety of having these conversations, too. Yeah. Because it's like... This racial work, too, is really important. Like, we need this sort of space to just process, like, this these racial shadows, period, in our culture. And I'm glad MKP is at least doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, with cults, they rarely evolve, too, right? Like, it's like a stuck framework. Sure. And so I've been, I'm glad to hear you say that MKP has seemingly evolved from where they, I mean, maybe late to the game, whatever. But they've gotten there, right? Yeah, or they're yeah. getting there. And you've mentioned before, and I haven't explored it myself, but there are women's groups that have like similar structures. Um, are those less common? Do you think, or do you know? Um, well, there's one called Women Within, uh, womenwithin.org is the website, and Women Within is really good. So it's kind of like uh, the sister version of MKP where it's very similar processes. Because, um, I mean, honestly, these processes can just be applied to anybody. It's not, it's like I said, it's not, it's not gender specific, right. really, at the core of it. Um, uh, so, yeah, there's women within. Uh, it depends 100% on where you live. Uh, if you want something local when it comes to women's groups, there's a, I mean, women's work, I've found, tends to have a lot of, uh, a lot of options depending on where you're at. So, like, the Twin Cities has more options for women's groups because it's a progressive city. If you're out in the sticks, you're boned. Yeah. Like, regretfully. But there are online groups that meet also for women's work. Um, as same thing with Mankind Project. There's men's groups. So if you're in a, in a place where you're not, you know, physically accessible for these meetings, then you can just go online, which is yeah. cool. And so for, I used to think at first, like, how could these Zoom meetings have the kind of impact that I did doing this work in person. But then I started doing the Zoom meetings, and I was like, wow, this is actually really powerful. Mm -hmm. Like, I was wrong about my assumption. It still is just as impactful. That's good to hear. I've noticed that, too, in my work meetings. We've moved a lot of stuff to Zoom. I mean, obviously, it's a much different context, but you get to open it up to more people who wouldn't be able to make it in person, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. There's there's a lot that makes sense there. Mm Mm-hmm. That's one thing about the pandemic that I've appreciated is, like, we've gotten better at doing this remote stuff, which yeah. is, like, especially good for work culture. We need to chill out and just stop taking bullets off this space. We can turn them into 
affordable housing and we need to like just stop spending so much on carbon just to drive to and from work like it's 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 a waste. How many people can actually work from home? Well, and I, yeah. I'm a, so I own my own therapy business, and yes. a lot of my clients are, I mean, some some of them don't have the means to travel to an office, a fucking mm-hmm. office where, you know, you have to come come in weekly or whatever and see me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now they can do it via, well, we, we use Google Meets, but whatever <laughs> is what it is. Yeah. Is there any last things that you think are important to mention that you didn't get to touch on? MKP is cool because it, to, to like any kind of work that you're experiencing as a man, you can step up and do this work. Um, but then I also want to share that like, you know, the sexual shadow is like such a prominent thing with men. We've been trained completely wrong on how to be intimate in our culture. It's not about dominating. Um, it's about having a relationship and that's that takes serious training and so just want to share like there's the resource of uh, here in the Twin Cities U of M has a sexual health center and they specifically have groups for men who have been sexually abusive um, or traumatized you may not be an abuser but you may have trauma only and so yeah it's great work I haven't specifically gone through it myself but I've talked to people that have and it like they really do good work there and it is mm-hmm. healing um so sexual health center U of M and then there's also another men's group that I I've just been uh told about I haven't checked it out but I think it's called Twin Cities Men's Group or something like that um but if you like google that then you'll be able to find a resource on that um I was thinking about checking out that group at one point too and seeing what's going on there and just getting to know. But I like finding these resources and sharing it with people because yeah. it's really important. Um, just want to share with other men out there is that like these problems are incredibly normal. Um, almost every man you know is probably experiencing his version of this and you're not alone on this and it's okay to be hurting and to understand like that you have work to do because there's no there's no weakness in that is the truth i mean putting it through this traditional filter of what masculinity looks like the truth is that it is strength and you know you're gonna not only learn how to love yourself deeper but you will have more rewarding healthy relationships it's going to show up with the way that you make money. It's it's literally permeates every goddamn thing that we do, our emotional experience. So when we learn how to have these tools and how to take care of ourselves and to create relationships where it's safe to be authentically our emotional selves, then we become so much more than we ever thought we could be. You know, like it's... There's a version of you out there that you're capable of creating, but you're going to have to work hard for it, and it's going to look like feeling a lot of pain. And that's the realistic truth of it. This is, work is not easy. It hurts, and that's okay. And you're not alone on it. And you're going to be better for it. Awesome. Um, 
thank you so much for coming and talking about this today. You're welcome. Thank you. I learned a lot. Do you want to put in a plug for massage or fire gear or anything? Uh, sure. I mean, if anybody wants fire dancing gear, my website's pretty broke because it's not been my focus lately. And I'm in a weird spot. I make great gear, right? But it's not really my passion anymore. So, mm -hmm. uh, But you can, you know, burningpassion.com. My website's not looking good. Otherwise, uh, a better way to get a hold of me, I think, is on Facebook. Facebook.com slash burningpassionfire. Or if you want to book me for a massage, you can reach out to me directly. My name is Paul Dunker Greenbaum. I'm sure you're going to be putting it in the thing. Yeah, we'll get the okay. yep. Yeah, you can just copy-paste my name and go to the photo. They have two profiles, at the one with my face, not the one of my logo for my old business. Message that one. But, yeah, I'm available for healing work. I do phenomenal massage work. It's yes. more than just massage. It's also life coaching, and there's a talk therapy element to it. I help my clients not only resolve the pain just through massage, but also address the behaviors to change it, which usually looks like stretching and posture. But I really transformative healing work. So I'm here for you if you need it. Very cool. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you again. So I have so You're many welcome. thoughts. I, I know. <laughs> I like my brain is just, yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone who's listening is feeling the same, and maybe this will inspire you to check out men's work or recommend it to men in your life who you think would benefit from it. So Yeah, and if you follow us and we don't properly link you on the thing, just message us on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and um, we'll do our best to connect. Yeah. Alrighty. Sweet. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Calling all Minnesotans, and maybe some non-Minnesota natives too if you're interested. Are you an individual who has some feedback for us, or maybe just wants to rant a bit about something intersectional feministy that grinds your gears? Or maybe you got an idea for a podcast discussion topic, or maybe know somebody that we, Noreen and Ashley, just need to talk to that's out there making waves and trying to fuck it up, even if that person is you, DM us on Instagram at Minersectional, PM us on Facebook, or email us at minersectional at gmail.com and let's make that happen.